0: listeners, and welcome back to the 2050 TFA Daily World Cup podcast of our World Cup series. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and we've another exciting episode for you all today. Here is the big preview you were all waiting for. Argentina versus France. Lionel Messi versus Kylian Mbappé. Lionel Scaloni versus Didier Deschamps. Yes. This weekend, the World Cup final gets underway as the reigning champions take on the current kings of South America. And we're just as excited as you are to watch the vast quality that will be on show on Sunday. In this episode of the TFA podcast, we will preview the tactical battles ahead of the FIFA World Cup final between Argentina and France, discussing how the gargantuan clash of the planets' titans will be won and lost. To do so, I'm joined by TFA analyst Brian Marquez and Running Dog Media's head of betting and affiliates, Lucas Mondelo, as we look at the tactics from the game. But before we get into the tactics from the two games, Lucas will be going through the latest odds in the betting market regarding each team, and so we ask... That you make sure to gamble responsibly as ever when taking the advice on board. And also make sure that you are over 18 and that you comply with the gambling regulations of your country. Just a quick one as well, though, before we begin. We get quite a lot of daily listeners in this podcast yet. Very few of any have given us a rating. If you're listening to this, could I kindly ask you to rate the podcast? Five stars, hopefully. It genuinely really helps us. Thank you so much. Now, I'll stop waffling. So without further ado, let's dive right into the analysis. Brian Lucas, thank you so much for joining me today to preview the one, the only, the World Cup final. Lucas, I'll throw it to you first, and we'll jump straight into the, I suppose, the latest odds. There's been a change in the market that in the betting market that you and I discussed just before starting the podcast. Can you explain to the listeners what it is?
1: Yes, Argentina is now, uh, you know, the favorite, but not by much. I mean, in the betting market, you always have to consider, you know, uh, by how much is is really the the question. And uh, you had France yesterday with some, you know, three uh, percent above France in terms of market expectations, and now that dropped around. which is uh, not that little for a game like this, you, you know, there's a big misconception among most batters that, you know, bookies change odds, except, you know, for situations of goals. Normally, the changes are because of money, you know, going into a team or another. So, when you have a change like this, you know, around the World Cup final, it means there's, you know, a lot of bets, you know, happening in excess to, to Argentina compared to to France.
0: So you think within, well, since we spoke yesterday, I suppose, there's been, well, as you said, because it's going to be a, fine, a game that has so much money put on it by not only professional bettors, but obviously just for recreational bettors. That a lot of people in the last twenty four hours have just swayed to book, to book money on Argentina to win outright.
1: Yeah, but it, it doesn't mean that it's just Argentina. It's more like uh, let's say that in Europe you had in twenty four hours one point two billion euros in Argentina and one point you know zero billion in France. So it's like it's an excess of bets to to one side because if the book is get a combined level you know flow of money, the odds never change. So it it means it changed a little towards Argentina, but um, it doesn't have necessarily any, you know, reflection to real-life sports Mm -hmm. facts. This is also important. This is just a perception. I mean, betting markets are a game of perceptions. So if Argentina gets, you know, hammered with pressure in the first five minutes, this could change radically in, in five minutes during you know the live betting markets, they tend to to change more than you know the so called early today and uh, pre match markets.
0: And Lucas, finals have been notoriously—I don't want to say dull, but I mean they're obviously not as as I mean teams don't want to make mistakes, so they're obviously not going to be as you know attacking or as 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 expansive as they would be in maybe the group phase or in the the knockout rounds prior to the final you look at the 2006 final the 2010 final the, the, the 2014 final they were all decided by one goal um whereas obviously the outlier was 2018 where france kind of walked over croatia and what was probably the most one-sided final since uh, brazil in the i believe it was 1970 i believe uh, when they won 4-0 uh, I can't for the life of me remember. Them. I, I think it was Italy they played on the day. I, can't, I, I could be wrong. They don't take my word on that. Um, what, 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 what does the betting market say in terms of favourites for or the, the favourite scoreline that people believe um, or that people have been betting on? I suppose uh,
1: this one is very interesting because you know match draws is, is, now has higher odds than France and Argentina with average three to one. And uh, that's interesting because, you know, the most expected exact score market uh, is uh, 1-1 with odds of 5.5. 5. So it, it's a bit of a paradox, you know, having the lowest odds for a match draw result when you have the match draw as the most likely result. And uh, I mean, in the 1x2 market, then you have nil nil with 6.0, which is almost the same in this market. And then you have both 1-0 scores with odds, you know, on average 7 to 1. So people are not expecting many goals and any score other than this has odds beyond 10, which is, you know, a big odd. And, uh, well, I guess it pretty much summarizes, you know, how the market doesn't really expect lots of action.
0: Mm -hmm. I I certainly wouldn't expect a lot of, of action because... I know France are notoriously cautious anyway in games. Um, you know, they, especially against better opposition, they do have a tendency to sit back. That's okay. I mean, there's no harm in doing that. And then you look at Argentina's quarter final against Netherlands, where the Netherlands dominated possession. Argentina were more than happy to sit back and allow them to have the ball. They obviously, as well, can still play quite cautiously, albeit they've been very entertaining at the World Cup. Yeah. The most difficult game they had was the Netherlands, and they kind of changed their game plan just a little bit to play more. Pragmatically, I think it's fair to say. Bryant, talk to me then about some, some key tactical battles to expect from this final. Because going over, or right in the preview, I suppose, for the final um, last night, I've been watching a lot of games of their games recently, keeping track of kind of... I was looking for ways that they can kind of break each other down. One way I noticed was that Argentina, they've only conceded an XG of 039 Per game, which is really impressive. To be fair, um, I think they've scored like an xG of like two, which is great. But when you look back at all their clips of chances they've conceded, a lot have came from crosses and long balls. They haven't seemed to. They seem to struggle in dealing with those kind of. And I said this to you before a few days ago on the podcast, playing ugly, almost if that makes sense. And it's not to say that going direct is ugly, but it's just you playing. I suppose just not playing this beautiful football that everyone's used to. Like you saw the Netherlands when they were trying to, they couldn't play through Argentina. So they brought on Vecorce, they brought on Luke de Jong, started going long and Argentina couldn't cope with it. Couldn't cope with those two target men. How can, I suppose, I know France can take advantage of that using Olivier Giroud. He's one of the best target men in world football right now, regardless of his age. But how can Argentina stop that? How can they, how can they kind of deal with crosses better or improve their, their, I suppose the marking of Giroud on the box to ensure that he doesn't do what he did against England I mean you saw against England he scored a header against Harry Maguire and that's Harry Maguire, one of Harry Maguire's best friends. and he still scored a header against them.
2: Yeah and it's something like I, I think it's underrated in the skills of Mbappe maybe he, he has a really good cross as well mm-hmm. and, and also the heading technique of killing Mbappe is is, is, is very good so it, it's going to be a threat for Argentina and that I think that's what Argentina has been thinking and talking about like how we are going to like congest the white areas because France looked to um progress through these zones with obviously Dembélé, Mbappé, Teo in both flanks. And then with the crosses, I, I think it's pure attitude as at this moment because you don't have a top player at your team that really completes the other set of skills and abilities that you want from your centre-back, that Escaloni wants from his centre-back that is obviously passing and um, a a really aggressive, I think, um, imposing presence to go out jump off his line, steal the ball, and that was that that is what Argentina has shown in the tournament. So with the in one of the best players on the air, it's going to be interesting. The last game against Croatia, I mean Leonardo Martinez was very good um going off and catching the ball against Cross. He he was very attentive to that. So he he like really need the help of Otamendi or Romero because he was very proactive to to go out. So he, he, if he kind of look for that, it's good. Then Argentina in the last passage of the match, it's like um they like overload the penalty box with a fullback scene so that could be a threat for them, for mm. themselves because Molina and Acuna, who I think are going to be the players that are going to play as fullbacks in this game if you go with these kind of players Giroud or Mbappé or Mbappe. Know, yeah, <laughs> those two even Rabiot um, who, which is a, a good Player on the air. Mm -hmm. He has shown at this tournament that is a a threat on that. Uh, Getting from like arriving to the box. It it could be dangerous for Argentina. But then you think of uh, another way that France could harm Argentina. And it's difficult because Argentina just overload the midfield brilliantly with aggressive uh, jumps from a player. If a there uh, appears if you you go and then you go back and the kind of coordination to jump and then go back by Paul McAllister and Enzo Fernandez and now Paredes who I think is going to be uh, on the starting line of this Sunday. It, it's really difficult to pass and to break. So I, I think the wide areas are the zone to attack and to harm Argentina but if, if you got to to see what happens because I think the pole is going to be covering Molina and then McAllister or Paredes are going to be, and, and even Enzo is going to cover the other wing. So, and, and on, on that wing, it's not that two against one because Kunde didn't, don't arrive that much with underlapping runs. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So, and defensively, I think Molina and Acuna have been very good. Obviously, they haven't played against Mbappe, but they have been good.
0: And I, uh, I do agree that France will well, will likely go down the flanks to try and hurt Argentina, because if you look at all the chances that Argentina have, have conceded, which is very small, very few were through the middle. I mean, they're so compact through the middle, they're, like, they're so hard to play against. But with France, it's kind of the opposite. We touched on this yesterday, but I want to go more in-depth on it today, uh, Brian. Yeah. France's front line... Is very susceptible to being played behind basically. And my worry yeah. is that Lionel Messi will be dropping it, and even even if it's not Messi, even if it's Alexis McAllister or you know, the Paul receiving in those areas, they can still turn and drive the defense. But the worry is definitely Messi because he does drop into midfield naturally, he's always done it throughout his career since probably Pep Guardiola took over Barcelona, it's just always something he's done. <laughs> When they created, when they like the other day, they played a four four two. 4 but they, they obviously the wingers came inside and they created that 4v3 in the midfield. Then Messi would drop in and become almost a 5v3 against Croatia's central midfielders. If you're France and uh, Otamendi or Lissandra Martinez or Romero, whoever plays that ball into Messi behind their front, their France's forward line into Messi and he's able to turn and drive the defense, he's the most dangerous player in world football, at, at, you know, in those situations. How can we know that Argentina can take advantage of that? But how can France avoid that? Really,
2: I, I think France is going to try and avoid this because they started this World Cup being a bit more aggressive, like um, pushing their line, their, their front line and their midfield line, well, all the lines a bit uh, f- uh, a bit forward, like they were defending on a mid to deep block. Uh, lately, on the previous matches to to the World Cup, and now you you see them um, defending a bit high. So maybe they're going to be a bit sonal. Well, they are sonal, but more a, a bit deeper than than to recent games because uh, they know that Griezmann defends, but he's like he's like running everywhere. Mm-hmm. So he, he's running here, he's running to that ball holder, and then this man receives, and I'm going. So that kind of intensity, it, it, it's, it, sometimes it can be that good and that positive for a team because he, he has to know where to jump, which player to jump, and, at, and in what moment he has to jump. So, and yeah, I think that is the weakness. the The first first idea Argentina has to make with the ball in possession, if France play with this high line it's to well high line re, relative high line it's to break through the left with um Otamendi or Acuña and i think it's Enzo on that side who if Paredes plays as a six and to grab the ball there with the jumps of Griezmann if 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 they um, attract the front line like they have they they are doing it recently. They're going to have this space behind Griezmann and then they're going to play against Dembele, who we have, we talked this about yesterday, like why it's Dembele on the midfield. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. It's a kind of a strange setup,
0: but it, it has worked somehow for, for France. Do you I think, think he'll make because... a change then or do you think, or do you think he should make a change or do you think it's just merely a tactical thing that can be a change on the pitch or do you think it is a personnel Kind of issue where somebody else will maybe need to come in there and be who's a bit more defensive minded, so he can close off space, cut off passing lanes, etc.
2: Yeah, you could
0: even change Griezmann
2: to the midfield, and you add a bit more of intensity there. But then you have up front Dembele, and they are going to break your front line so easy. Yeah, and the first idea has to be that for Argentina, and what I think them to progress to the final third is. Changing overloading one side or through the middle like they have like against every team with four midfielders, Messi, Macali Sorenzo, Paredes, <laughs> and, and now the the pole. It's unbelievable that way to play. I, I love that diamond. Mm-hmm. I love that other Argentina play with that. So then you you could change the ball so quickly to the right side of Argentina and the left side of France, that is Theo Hernandez is always so alone because Mbappe doesn't do the recovery run and doesn't support that tio but which player do you change to play that where that in that place because you will think of Di Maria but which player do you do you change because you want to overload the midfield to progress through that and then to change it to one side you can send uh, up Molina but if you failed on the possession and you make a turnover, you have Mbappe run into space. (laughs) And that is the major threat you have to face in this game. So it's kind of tricky because you can change Julian Alvarez, but who is going to be through the middle? You cannot change Alvarez in this form. (laughs) You cannot. So Argentina have to find a way to really harm that teal side but I think they have to do with a tactical tweak, one midfielder going to that zone like McAllister or Depaul that have been doing good in in those kind of positions and in those kind of rotations and posi- channels exchanges. But I think Di Maria, if he's not uh, a a starting in this game, he's going to be like in the 60th minute, like because they know. His tone is very important tactically and obviously because he's technically gifted and talented player. So you want that kind of player in a final. He literally scored a brilliant goal in the last final Argentina played against Brazil. So you want that kind of player. And I think the first minutes of the match off is going to be very tactical. But then if Di Maria comes in, they, they have to take advantage of that two against one situation
0: or, or or even one against one against Dio. Mm. Di Maria also scored uh, an incredible goal against France in the 2018 World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah. one of the best goals. Well, it, it was one of the best goals of the tournament until I believe a few minutes later when Benjamin Pavard, I think maybe in the second half, probably did outdid him, which was incredible with that, um, the way it swerved in. It was, it was an unbelievable goal. But you spoke there about you know, Tweaks, I suppose, needed. Lucas, I'll come to you on this, right? Messi's dominating headlines, obviously, because he's been incredible throughout the tournament. He's reeling back the years with vintage performances. But Scaloni, I feel, doesn't quite get the credit he deserves. If you look at the statistics of Argentina, which I was uh, observing last night, Argentina only maintained the same formation. Uh, throughout a full match once and that was against uh, Saudi Arabia, which of course they lost. They used the four four two and it 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 obviously didn't go quite well. But you see how many changes he makes throughout games. So against uh, Croatia, they were two nil up. He used that four four two and it becomes almost a diamond in the midfield or maybe five when Messi drops in. When they went two nil up he changed to a back five because they didn't need to take those risks anymore. He dropped the midfield, I think he took off Leandro Paredes, and he brought on uh, Lissandro Martinez to go with the back three. Do you think, I mean, he's clearly tactically very astute, but do you think he doesn't get the credit he deserves because Messi's almost outshining him in a way, not outshining him, but he, he is because because he's the star, he shines brighter than any other.
1: Well, I guess you have to consider psychological factors here. I mean, Messi had lived some considerable drama with this, you know, his team before you know last year's title in Copa America I mean it was almost like a nightmare participation in the national team until lifting that trophy which is you know not nearly as prestigious as people think in Europe so i i mean in terms of um, some stuff that happened for example in Brazil in the nineties and you know the 2000s you had some players asking not to be called for these tournaments almost like a friendly So it's like the generation of Ronaldinho and Ronaldo Nazário around 2006, it happened. So it's stuff like that, that I mean, Bryant is also from my region. So I don't want to offend the region, but that's that's how it was perceived. So it's like last year, Argentina won against Brazil, you know, a game that... uh, they had a lot more motivation, and that was important for their morale to to you know to build up towards this tournament. It the image of seeing Messi lifting a trophy was you know important to all these things. But uh, I, I agree that he deserves at least some credit because although Argentina isn't, in my opinion, nearly as you know technically tidy as France. For numerous reasons. I mean, France is a more experienced team. Deschamps mm-hmm. has been, you know, in charge for a longer time. But uh, you got to give the coach some credit for trying the right cards, in my opinion, after the Saudi Arabia disaster. I mean, he changed lots of you know starters. I think there were five at least. Because you got to communicate clearly to the dressing room when something like that happens. I mean, you have the king of Saudi Arabia, you know, declaring a holiday because of the game. So it's like this stuff gets, you know, players get bombarded with social media stuff. So, you know, I think he, you know, was able to shake a little bit the moods in in a positive way. And that, that in itself is, I think, beyond any tactical change that he could do to improve the situation. So... I think young coaches also suffer a little bit with situations like that. And uh, to to finalize my comment, I guess there are some comparisons with the situation of Ronaldo with his his team, you know. And uh, in my opinion, Ronaldo was always a lot more of a leader in in Portugal compared with Messi. You had that image of. Uh, him leaving injured in 2016 at, you know, minute 15, I guess. And he was giving orders to the team, just like the coach, you know, standing by his side. And that image, you know, will last forever. And, and it's part of the problem of Portugal when that situation happened in the knockout stage here. So the question is, is Messi that much of a leader, and how much you know the coaching impacts this team, and I guess it's it's a real deal. I mean, I I think he deserves credit, and it's going to be a protagonist from now on, especially perhaps at the club level in Europe.
0: I suppose leaders are different in how they approach things, where some maybe you know even in terms of management, some managers will be very aggressive and they'll be very vocal. Like you'll have your Antonio Conte's your Jurgen Klopp's Pep Guardiola, obviously, as well to a certain extent. Whereas then you'll have some guys like Gareth Southgate, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, even to an extent that were very quiet. Even Louis van Gaal, to an extent as well on the sideline, is very, uh, kind of reserved. You know, he doesn't Louis van Gaal doesn't really bark orders from the sideline. He sits down and writes in a, in a notebook. So I suppose there's different types of leaders. But I just do want to say, uh, touching on your point. You said that in Europe, people maybe hold more weight to the Cup American than there actually is there. Because you're both from that region, I think this is an interesting topic to discuss. I suppose I agree to an extent, but I've only agreed in the last year because of the lack of competition. And, and Brian, obviously, I don't mean to be disrespectful to you. I know you're from Venezuela, of course. But there seems to be a, more of a lack of competition this year than, than there has been in recent years, or certainly in my lifetime. It seems that in the Copa America, like in 2021, there was there was literally just Argentina-Brazil. So if you win that game, you win the tournament. Chile didn't come close. Columbia, I mean, in terms of quality, Chile weren't good enough. Colombia weren't good enough. There was nobody else really able to fight for that, for the trophy really, other than Argentina-Brazil. And then once you win the final, you win. Is, do you think, is that what you, were you meant by, Lucas, is that what you meant by maybe it holds more weight in Europe than is actually true in South America.
1: Well, this is, you know, 100% Brazilian view. And, uh, I mean, I've been involved with club-level analysis and, and betting markets for many years. And there is a problem, I think, two main problems that explain the situation. Number one is the local federation doesn't really respect FIFA dates, which means... Copa America has happened with players, you know, um, sorry, clubs losing players for the selections. And mm-hmm. and in Brazil, that that could be not just Brazil, but many South American teams. And we had a little bit too many Copa Americas because there was the celebration of, um, I think, 100 years of the, the Ball Federation, Confederation. So the situation is we had two Copa Americas in a row in two years. And clubs saw the players, you know, leaving for the the international teams. I mean, some teams obviously get more jeopardized by that than others. So, this, you know, you can imagine (laughs) the situation of the fans in in this uh, moment when you see, I don't know, your team losing key players in the derby because of the international team. And then you have also the situation of some regions liking the, the national team more than others. So uh, there is a saturation, I guess, uh, of the tournament in the last years. So this perception of the importance of Copa America has fluctuated over the years. I think after a notable case when Ronaldinho asked to not to be called to Copa America, there was some kind of um, sensation that you know, the the international team was being disrespected. And when Dunga started his first, uh, you know, term in Brazil, there was a clear message to the players, value this thing or you won't be called. So Mm -hmm. then in that situation, Copa America was valued. But these days, after so many tournaments, you know, jeopardizing the clubs, I would say Brazilians are pretty much, you know, not that interested. And that explains a lot of why Argentina had, in my opinion, not that much opposition to win last year.
0: Mm-hmm. It is interesting.
1: I mean, considering all these facts, I mean, I don't believe people in Europe have that much of a clear picture, and that's why I believe the tournament is somewhat. Uh, no, yeah, I misunderstood. fully agree.
0: Because when you see the, with the fullest respect again, because he's an incredible player, but Messi won the Ballon d'Or off the back of winning a Cup of America, which which was quite bizarre to me, considering. Um. Well, again, respectfully, he he had just to beat really Brazil as the main competitor. I wouldn't classify that as more difficult than a Champions League, you know. And I hope I'm not disrespectful, anyway. As I said, but I just I, winning a Ballon d'Or off the back of just winning a Copa America seemed quite quite strange to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, just for example, attendance in the stadiums wasn't even close to what you would expect i don't know in africa for example where, where they love their you know continental competition fifa even you know pushes that uh, with the, you know every two years tournament i know especially premier league teams don't don't really like the situation of losing players which is not normal in europe you know mm-hmm. not stopping club level action for you know the selections time so uh, that's what I mean. I mean, the contrast. I, I think Africa is a good example for comparison because it's yeah. it's not the Euros, and you have you know a continent that just loves and, and enjoys the opportunity of you know witnessing their talent yeah. before their eyes, physically and not through the tally, and you have a situation here where uh, in Brazil at least it, there is this major saturation towards this tournament. I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Lucas, you found some interesting bets regarding the the World Cup final that you'd like to share with us. Go ahead.
1: Well, when it when it's World Cup final time, you get, you know, pretty odd markets and uh, the bookies come up with some pretty amusing stuff and it's purely recreational. I mean, with very few exceptions Professionals wouldn't even touch these odds unless they're really just trying to have fun. So, for example, we have uh, specific markets with odds, you know, bigger than 80 to 1. And in a specific bookmaker here, which I won't say the name, you have odds for, you know, Julian Alvarez to score first and Theo to be carded first. And if that happens, you get... Eighty-one to one in the <laughs> so it's like ten bucks could get you yeah, 800
0: bucks. Yeah, you you put a tenor on, you get what eight twenty, isn't it? It's because of the eight hundred and ten plus your tenor back.
1: No, it's uh, eight hundred and ten in this case, but it's still good money for.
0: <laughs> Do you not get your money back yeah. from it.
1: No, I mean, I'm using decimal odds here. So it's like it's Ah. 81.0, actually. I mean, I'm translating because in Britain, it's and I suppose Ireland too, it's more Mm. common to use fractional odds. Yeah, it's fractional
0: odds we use, not decimals, yeah.
1: Yeah, but then again, this is more like for recreational bets Mm -hmm. because it's it's almost insane to try to, you know, make sense of fractional odds when you have to think fast like a trader. So this Mm. is also an interesting piece of information. So... If you go pro anytime, it's gotta be decimal odds. It's, it's much easier.
0: Anyway, if I, go, if I go pro betting on Julian Alvarez to pick up a yellow card after he scored, or maybe I will. Maybe I'll put a tenner on. It. If I win, I, I'll 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 go pro with you. How about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I don't know why, but it, it bothers me when someone gets you know a card when they score and you know lift their shirt these days because if got, it's if he scores, bit, so he'll
0: score a winner, whip his shirt off and get sent off. Incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean it's been a rule for so long, and there was even a funny story—not so funny for us, but on uh, the team that I supported here, Grêmio, we had a, you know Brazil Cup final in which a very young player, you know, lifted his shirt. And I, I don't remember if he was red carded right away or if he get if he got another yellow, but he missed the second leg of the final because it was you know two games. And it was, like, one of the most important players. Let's say the, the fans weren't really pleased with that.
0: When so, you look at Cam- Cameroon, uh, when they beat Brazil in the group phase, and Abubakar took a shirt off because he scored the winner, he got sent off. <laughs> it's tragic. Yeah, I mean,
1: that's that's not a bright idea. <laughs> no. in I mean, I, I get that you, you get pretty much excited, but, uh, yeah, I think it's really dumb.
0: Well, anyway, you you also said there was, uh, we spoke about before the podcast there, there's a particular bet you've never seen before in all your years of working in the betting industry. What is that? Can you tell the listeners? Because it is quite, I actually I got quite a chuckle out of it as well.
1: Well, the point is, um, these things are really like, uh, uh, the book is pretty much try to come up with stuff. So in the professional markets, you pretty much... F- focus on handicaps and over-under. So if you stay like years on, on this job and you don't face a more recreational role like like I do these days at, uh, you know, our new brand, Total Football Batting and, and the Ronnie Dog Media Network in which we, we bring interesting stuff and entertainment stuff too, it, it means that um, you got to dig for these things to find out. And uh, this one is pretty cool, actually. You know, for laughter's sake, actually. Which is messy to have more left-footed shots on target than Mbappé. And then the odds for that are 1.44. I mean, it, it reflects the characteristics of the players. And then you have the inverted bet, which would be messy to have more right-footed shots on target than Mbappé, with 13 to 1. So it's like, uh, I mean, uh, you, it's pretty hard to... Actually, not pretty hard, but it's weird because... To calculate these things, you gotta actually make some statistics for the odd, because any odd is, you know, based on on some kind of stats that the, the bookies create. And uh, I mean, I imagine a trader having to make this kind of, uh, let's say, accountancy to to find out what crazy odds would be released.
0: I've, I've one more question. How many drinks do you think you would have you would have to consume before you Put any sort of money on, on 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 Messi to have more left foot, or sorry, Mbappé to have more left foot shots than Messi, or vice versa.
1: Well, I believe that uh, drinks wouldn't be enough because <sighs> when you when you become a professional batter or an executive, there are lists that circulate in the bookies of uh, you know automatic bans for players that are professionals. So, for example. These days, I was testing a casino for a project, and uh, the moment I made a register, the casino sent like in in one minute. uh, You know, you are at some sort of list, so please, uh, the website considers you too much risk. Do not come back, stuff like that. So, (laughs) I believe alcohol wouldn't be, you know, enough chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) I would have to pay you to place the bet for me.
0: Maybe I, I, I even think if I was. Absolutely, plastered, that I really don't think I would ever put a bet on that. Maybe a euro. I think I'd be, be interesting, especially to see if Mbappe would get more left foot shots than Messi. Because you can just always say, in your lifetime, I put a bet on Mbappe. Put more, have more left foot shots than Messi. No one would believe you, but it would still be a, an interesting bet, I suppose. To yeah, on. you
1: know. For me, unfortunately, the instincts of professional batter make it, it, it makes me hurt to think about making a bet for fun. So it's like uh, the brain was kind of designed not to do this.
0: <laughs> Lucas, you live life so relentlessly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's the end of our World Cup preview. Brian, Lucas, thank you so much for joining me today. To all the listeners at home, I hope you enjoyed too. And make sure to tune in on Monday as we review the World Cup final and the tactics from the game in what will be the final episode of our World Cup series. And I'm sure both Brian and Lucas will be glad to see the back of me for a long, long time. So check back in for that and please share the podcast too, as it really helps us to grow. Also, please give the podcast a rating of five stars. It helps us in more ways than you know. Ooh, that rhymed. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now.